Hello, and welcome to FortiGuard Live. I'm Derek Mankey, and I am joined and have the pleasure again of speaking with my esteemed colleague, Amar Lakani. How are you doing, Amar? I'm doing great running the marathon that I call life. You know, sometimes you're running, sometimes you're walking. My last marathon, I was actually crawling, but I'm doing good. <laughs> hey, that's better than sitting, right? I don't think we're, we're ever... <laughs> I don't think we're ever sitting around doing nothing, and that's that's the beauty of this job and uh, and the industry is, uh, you know, there's a lot a lot of problems out there, but we're we're uh, fighting hard to create solutions. And yeah, I, I feel the same way. So it, it can be easily overwhelming sometimes when you look at the threat landscape and and uh, everything that's happening. But the good news is there's been so much developments. We've talked about it a lot before in terms of the technology piece, right? What we're doing at FortiGuard Labs with machine learning and AI and all the tools and assists, not to mention the, the brilliant minds we get to work with, you know, at FortiGuard Labs, but also Cyber Threat Alliance and Interpol and, and all of our industry initiatives. Um, and, you know, following all of that, like simplifying, if we're just to simplify in terms of new trends that we're seeing, uh, you know, in terms of the, the threat landscape, you know, I know we've talked about COVID a lot in terms of threats. And the reality is, you know, I just went back and looked at our data. Uh, we're well over 14, 15 months now into the pandemic. And it's very interesting because we, we saw a trend where the threats were actually dovetailing a bit in November, December last year. I'm talking about COVID-19 social engineering lures. Um, but, and so at that time, at that point in time, I thought, you know, cyber criminals might start to get exhausted of that themselves or people, uh, but it actually just started continuing, right? I looked at our data and it's a constant wave. Every week we see the same amount of volume we we're seeing last January in terms of COVID-19 social engineering lures and attacks, mostly email-based. Um, it just hasn't stopped. They take weekends off. We see a dip on the weekend, but it kicks back up on Monday. The difference is, of course, like we talked about, the, th the theme is changing, right? They're going from, uh, they went from initial lockdowns to the reopenings and now uh, vaccine uh, lures. But we're also seeing a theme now with a lot of impersonations uh, for corporate IT security and really this leading to spear phishing attacks too. Yeah, you, you know what's funny is like I, I myself thought, hey, this is kind of dying down. I'm not seeing that much of it. And when I really started looking at it, you're right. Only only the subjects change a little bit. The themes change a little bit. But on top of that, I think, and this is the dangerous part, I think that everyone's kind of getting a little numb to the fact that anytime a new attack happens and we're just kind of bouncing it off and not really taking how serious it is. And as you mentioned, one good example of this is as people come to work, I've been seeing a really interesting attack where uh, you're getting an email, a phishing email from an attacker that's impersonating your corporate IT saying, stating, hey, now that we're back to work, look out for phishing emails, look out for attackers and uh, make sure you're trained against them because they're going to come after you in the corporate world. And here's a link and that link is a malicious link or a phishing email. So the, the bad guys are pretending to be good guys, warning you against the bad guys by and doing bad things while they're doing it. So uh, if you followed yeah. me, it's uh, it's kind of ingenious of them to do that because that's on top of mind of every corporate IT um, organization right now is as people come back to the office, how are we gonna get them back into mindset of corporate security? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. So there's a couple of things, right? One is, everybody's still still talking about COVID. It's on the news every day still. And that's why it's perfectly okay for cyber criminals to still leverage that, I, I, I think. And talk. It's, it's just friend of mine still. It's a big topic still. And that's why we're continuing to see that be, be favored on a weekly basis. But it's really interesting what you talked about 
because we're seeing that also in the ransom as a service model where they have the, these new, we talked about this before, these new service departments, right? Where they say, hey, if you pay us a certain amount of money, we're going to, we're going to try to benefit you. We're going to try to think like you as a defender and offer you consulting services, right? Tell you how we got into your network. But it, it really is sort of a shift in their mentality where just like on our side, we're always trying to get into the minds of an attacker. They're really starting to get more into the minds of a defender now. It's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, don't pay a malicious actor to like go into your network, like pay some of the good guys. But you're you're right. I mean, the attackers are trying to think like the defenders and you know, once they do that, uh, they're, they're going to be able to get around the solutions. In fact, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of forums on hacker forums where attackers are actually suggesting to other attackers, hey, you know what, go get a job and in a corporate IT security department and learn kind of like the skills and the tools and the products that they use so you can come back to us and let us know like how to defeat those products. So it's 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 a cycle and uh, it's kind of funny you're, you're seeing that type of um, suggestions and, uh, you know, that kind of engagement on these hacker forums. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and going off what I was saying before, the other trend, unfortunately, that we're seeing is that, you know, before this, they were very successful just with the, the mass, uh, quote unquote, mass marketing emails that they were doing, right? Like the, the, the broad attacks, they weren't targeted. It was just mass phishing. Um, that was successful for a long period of time, but it's becoming less successful now, I think, because of what, all the security measures, a lot of the, you know, education piece, things that we've done out of the industry. Uh, but unfortunately now they've, they're starting to shift because they're more well-funded, shift into these targeted attacks. That phishing is now leading to spear phishing being more common to your point um, about um, reaching out directly, having these one-on-one -on -one channels with their targets and victims and, and even in, in the emails themselves. Um, we've seen things like BEC, business email compromise, which were in the past very targeted to CFOs and doing payment diversion fraud that are now also being used for the same purpose, right? You know, in, uh, get, get into an HR account or a uh, IT admin account and use that to, to launch a second stage attack. Right. I'm not sure if those mass emails are less successful, but what they definitely are, are they're not as lucrative. Uh, the one-on-one -on -one emails, I mean, instead of getting paid $100 you know, for ransomware attacks, they're yeah. getting paid in the millions. I mean, we saw this over and over again with some of the very large high-profile ransomware attacks that have come out you know, in just... It doesn't matter what week it is because the last couple of weeks of high profile ransomware attack has come out and you see all the payouts are in the millions of dollars now. So what the attackers are trying to do is they're trying to target those organizations. They know they can pay. They know they have a reputation and, uh, and other motivations to basically keep it under the radar and pay. And even the even the attackers, they kind of want to keep a low profile as well. They don't want to go way high. They want to ask for a lot of money where law enforcement will be involved and really targeting them and motivated to get them. But they want to keep it high enough where they make a lot of money and it's easy for their target, their victim organizations to pay without thinking too much about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, it, you know, switching gears, putting our, our, our research hats on and, you know, every, every day at 40 Guard Labs, we go out um, on, on the threat hunt, right? So we, we can looking at uh, hunting for the threats, not just reacting to the existing threats and fighting that, but trying to get ahead of the curve. This is all research, finding out what's out there. What are the latest targets? How do we think like an attacker? How do we get in, in their point of view, in their eyes and follow uh, their latest campaigns as an example too? One of the interesting things, I know we we're talking about this before is... Um, 
is that we're starting to see problems. I think people, uh, there's a lot of information disclosure that's happening, even with good intentions sometimes, uh, that can have consequences. I mean, even when we go out and do our, our threat hunting and threat research, we're seeing people reach out for help uh, in terms of uh, potentially an attack. If they're being targeted, you just mentioned, don't hire a cyber criminal to help. But we also see people going to things like um, public open source uh, platforms, samples of emails that are being floated, floating around too. And that, that can create um, even more fuel for cyber criminals because they can actually get access. Other gangs, cyber criminal gangs, can get access to that information and then use that for a spear phishing attack. Man, that is such a great point. Uh, you know, I go to a number of like uh, forums. I go to a number, use a number of open source tools such as open source sandboxes honeypots, other tools as well. And you can actually, you know, submit, you know, file samples to a lot of these places and see kind of what the verdict is. And there are so many times where I've seen other people submit like, hey, you know, a lot of these places will have like, look at the last 10 files uploaded. And someone will say, look, I got this email. I think it's a phishing email and they'll upload it and you'll see the verdict. But when you actually open up the email, it has like very sensitive corporate information out there. And you have to be careful about that because if I see that as a researcher, right? I'm like, oh, why, why did someone do that? You know, attackers are most likely going to the same websites and they don't have to do anything. They're just like downloading the public information you've given them, but you haven't realized that anyone can get to that information. We yeah. see that all the time on multiple, multiple open source tools. And it's uh, it's a big problem. And I would even go further to add in, um, like if you're actually sending things to any cloud provider or cloud vendor, you should know exactly what your vendor is doing with that. Are they treating that all internal, all, all, the, all your data, all your privacy? There's a lot, of, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of places we can go with this, obviously. But how are they actually analyzing the threats you're sending them over the yeah. cloud? Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's a great point, and I think it's it's important to talk. It's important to ask the hard questions first. We've talked about this before with IoT devices, right? If you go to your big box store and buy an IoT device, asking the question first, it, it's really training and reinforcing your own mind first, right? Uh, you know, what's the security lifecycle with this vendor for for the uh, for the device that I'm buying, as an example? Um, if I plug this into my network, is it going to be able to communicate with my corporate laptop or other devices? Asking all those questions first goes a long way. It's the same thing with information. If I'm forwarding this email, if I'm asking for help and disclosing potentially sensitive information, who am I talking to? Do I need to to actually disclose this information? Social media platforms are an, a, a huge example of this, right? We're talking more about the research community and, and, and security analysis, but beyond that, if you look at social media, uh, we've talked about this before too, having that mentality of, you know, if I post this, do I really want to be shouting this out loud to the world, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You reminded me of a story where I have a friend that does physical pen test security, and he actually went on an organization social media site, and they were having some sort of a uh, costume day, like a uh, dress up day. And, uh, and what he did was he, when he did his physical pen test, since he already knew the social media account, he just dressed up as one of the employees, how they were going to dress up that day. And that's how he did his physical pen test. I thought that was a great story, almost like a Hollywood type story. You could probably create a movie out of that or something, but it was just one of the ways that shows how much information we put on social media as organizations, as businesses. And personally, we know we've been putting on way too much information on social media. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the point here is that, um, you know, again, we're not saying don't sit and do nothing. It's important to work together to, to respond to events and all of that, but it has to be trust, right? 
and it has to be earned trust. So we start with zero trust first, right? Don't don't just trust an email that's coming to you saying that their corporate IT validate verify that that source as an example. Um, of course, at, you know at a rigid scale that goes down to public private key cryptography, but but at other, um, uh, on other scales it it goes down to just picking up a phone and calling someone, or really just starting with that inherent zero trust model. I think is is super important because otherwise. Um, if we if we don't have that model, um, it's too easy to fall prey to the to these attacks. Right. Assume everyone's going to try and steal your candy or something, and trust yeah. no one initially. Yeah, definitely. Um, so those are all great tips, and we talk about a lot of the the bad always that's happening. But we have in the past talked about the good, right? I like to to always talk about that. There's been a lot of great progress we made in the industry in terms of fighting cybercrime because um, it is a lucrative industry, as we know. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot of great things we've done, especially with 40Guard Labs working in the, in the industry from strengthening threat intelligence and the security fabric to disruptions and uh, takedowns, even arrests we have worked on. You know, to the left of the, you know, of, of the kill chain, we always talk about how do we stop the attack, mitigate it, make it more expensive for cyber criminals to operate. And there's a lot of work that's being done there and a lot of good news, right, and initiatives. But on the right-hand side, which is, you know, when, when an attack has happened, when cyber criminals are profiting, how do you do an arrest? That's much tougher. We've, uh, you know, made some progress on that. But I just wanted to point out on that side, just recently there was an announcement from the Department of Justice that they had actually recovered over $2 million of uh, Bitcoin related to the dark side ransom attack. And to me, that's another great win for the industry. It sends a message back to cyber criminals showing that they just can't assume because they've made profits that they're going to get away with these things. Yeah. So first of all, always a win when you go after the criminals and go after their money. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of people already wondering, well, exactly what was the technique, how did the Department of Justice recover those Bitcoins? I can't wait until that information comes out. There's uh, some information that's been released, but a lot of people are guessing on what may have happened. I think it will be Hopefully they'll reveal it because I think it will make a really interesting story. But uh, but on top of that, I think like the big big point is if you can go after the money, if you can make it more expensive for them, or if you can uh, you know make it harder for them to keep a hold of their uh, bitcoins or cryptocurrency or whatever profit they may be making, uh, it definitely hurts them, and uh, and it hurts them in a way that's much more valuable and much more uh, you know has much more of an impact than I would say like putting in a even like tons of other types of systems or, or uh, tons of other types of defenses. So go after the money, as we always say. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we can't rely on that. We don't want to rely on, on the end game, right, on that right-hand side uh, when it comes to that whole attack chain. But it's just great news that, that there is also help and assistance and things being done on, on that side. But to our point earlier, it's, it's, it's all about that whole ecosystem, how we strengthen that together. That is definitely shaping up and has shaped up over the last couple of years so really looking forward to, to more initiatives happening there yeah absolutely and let me make it clear me and you can't go do that like uh, you know you know law enforcement has to do that me and you and organizations that we consult for we have to uh, you know the best way we can prevent the attack from them is to go on the left side is to prevent an attack before it occurs as m much as we can or have them have detection as close as we can to the time when the attack occurs so so i'm not saying don't uh, don't do your due diligence uh in uh security products or uh, security implementation yeah yeah of course it's, it's it's all working together right it's from from a technology and integration piece to an industry integration piece 
uh, case in point, the work we do with Interpol Gateway and, and other critical partners too. Um, all right, Amar, thanks so much for your time again. Uh, these talks always go by very fast, fascinating things, but it's good to, to end on some good news. Uh, thanks for your thoughts again, Amar. Hey, thank you. Uh, all right, this is Derek Mankey with FortiGuard Live, signing off.